This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan, and in this episode, I'm joined by yet another world champion. But this one, as we'll discover, has never ridden a speedway bike. If you've not seen me on the telly, I'm a bit of a lump, really. So I've got to be honest with you, I have the figure for a dart player, but not for a speedway rider. Scott Mitchell is a lifelong speedway fan and a huge supporter of the Pool Pirates. And his day job is split between being a farmer and a professional darts player, where in 2015, he scaled the heights of the sport to become the BDO World Darts Champion. Double chop to be crowned world champion. Misses with the first. Game. Chop. Hits with the second. And the 2015 Lakeside World Darts Champion is Scott Mitchell. Every dog has his day. And for Scotty Dog Mitchell, that day... Today. We'll find out more about his rise to the top of darts despite only finding his way into the sport in his late 30s and how his success at the hockey has led to a secret career working alongside some of TV and film's household names. Plus, he'll be putting together his Speedway Paradise, building his own dream meeting before the end too. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome our next Human of Speedway, Scott Mitchell. Hi, how are you doing, Ian? I'm very good, thanks. And it's great to have you joining us on this episode of Humans of Speedway. And uh, of course, we're here to talk about Speedway. But first of all, let's talk darts, because 2020 has thrown all sorts of chaos, generally in, in sports direction. Darts has sort of kind of found a way Obviously, very very different times. How's it been for you so far? Yeah, yeah, it's it's been it's been a strange year, obviously for the darts. Really, um, uh, you know, we haven't been able to play, and and uh, the, the the bits that we have done have been uh, kind of in bubbles in in varying hotels or arenas that that have hotels attached to them. When we have been allowed to play, so it, it, we've not been as bad as some other sports, which are you know, totally sort of desecrated 2020 as Speedway has been uh, in the UK. And, um, you know, we, we have been lucky enough to play a bit of online darts as well. There was a uh, a day back in April where um, 
I think we were the only live sport going on in the world. Uh, oh, wow. that, that was online. I was playing at home in my spare room. So, um, yeah, it's been, been a strange year for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, it has. About, how did that work then, playing at home? Well, it was like a video camera on your board and it was sort of adding up the, the score that way? I mean, Yeah, yeah. There, there's, um, uh, we're, we're very, dance is a very simple sport, but it can get very technical when it needs to be. So um, we have a, a, a scoring system called Darts Connect that works all around the world. So um, we, we could log into Darts Connect and, and use an iPad to, to put the scores and everything in uh, as we played. Uh, well, we were actually just saying the score after we'd thrown. So if you hit 140, hit 140, called 140 as if I was the MC, and then at <laughs> HQ they put they put the score in, and, and it comes up on my pad what I've scored and what I've got left. It was very clever, and uh, yeah, we obviously had cameras as close to the board as we can get them, um, one facing the player and and one facing the board, so that you know there was there was no uh, cheating going on. Did you announce your score in, in the way that, uh, that, that the, the MC usually does? Like, 140. Yes, you did end up doing it. It was, uh, yeah, 140. And then you take your darts out and it was rather weird. And then there's other players that are very... Uh, so it would depend on who, who you were actually playing. There'd be another player that would just hit 140 and go, 140. You know, with about as much enthusiasm as anything. So sometimes you got drawn into it. I'd go, yeah, 180. And, uh, yeah, yeah so everybody's it was, got it the was fun, mate. Sheet. It was fun. It was really different for all of us, and it was fun. So we were able to still get ourselves out there to the, to, you know, a lot of people that were still watching it during lockdown because obviously they were at home all day. So um, yeah, the viewing figures were really good, and everybody was happy. Well, they will be good because I remember that sort of period where there was n- well, there was no sport on in the world one weekend, and everybody's like, "What do we do now?" So I think it was it was the turn of the minority sport, if if you know if you want to phrase it like that. You know, football wasn't happening, and all the other major sports, if you want to call them that, weren't weren't happening. You know, tennis wasn't on, for example, like Wimbledon would usually be on through the summer, and you know, it was the turn of those sports that were able to to get underway that normally wouldn't have had the exposure that that really benefited as well yeah i think that's been a bit of a problem i mean i know that the um the, the pdc obviously is run by barry hearn and matt porter and um they've managed to get sponsors to cover tournaments to be played behind closed doors so that so that they could still be put on sky and um you know it's it's been a mammoth task for them to get any darts anywhere so um we are very lucky we are very fortunate and um you know some sports have been really harmed by it and uh um we're, we're fortunate that Yes, we've been harmed by it at grassroots level, but but at a top level, we've, we've, we've still been able to play. Now, obviously, we're talking there about darts, which is the sport that you play, but you are you are a fan of, of Speedway, which is why we're speaking to you on, on our podcast, Humans of Speedway. We haven't turned into Humans of Darts, although maybe we could do that another day. But you're a pool pirates fan and uh, you're a South Coast lad born and bred. Yeah, yeah. I'm from a little village called Brandsgore, which is uh, just between Christchurch and Ringwood down on the Hampshire-Dorset border. So we're right on the edge of the Dew Forest. We're, we're two miles away from the beach down at Christchurch and, uh, yeah, 500, half a mile away from the New Forest. So, uh, and we've got a little piece of, little piece of farm there. And, um, yeah, I, I thought everybody had, a, had, a, had an area like that. But until I started travelling with the darts, I, <laughs> I realised the world wasn't exactly the same as the little idyllic village that I live. Yeah, growing growing up on a farm, I imagine a, you know a sort of different upbringing from the majority of people in the UK. I mean, I know there are a lot of farmers, but um, you know it's a different life, isn't it? It is a lifestyle because it requires you know work you know day in day out to to, to keep the thing running, and 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 through the seasons, obviously the demands change, don't they? Yeah, very much so. I mean, particularly with a 
with a tenant farmer where, where we're tenant farmers, so we rent the land as well. You know, if you own the land and you haven't got to find the rent, it, it can be a little bit easier to, 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 to make a profit. But for, for us, uh, small little holders, um, small holders, it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, farmers said it's tough times like we have with the COVID. I mean, the BSE and the foot and mouth back sort of 20, 30 years ago, um, sort of saw me having to having to leave the farmers as a young man of 25, 26. And, uh, you know, I thought my world had ended because that's all I ever did. I, I, I jumped in a tractor at eight years old and, um, you know, and, and was driving it around the fields and that's all I ever wanted to do. So to have the wall pulled out from under you like that, sort of like um, in your late 20s and um, just to save the farm, really, you know, we had about 250 acres at that point. So the good thing about renting is you can give it back or being a tenant you can give it back so i can't afford to mm -hmm. to have it so that was the one plus side of being a tenant so you know we saw hardship we saw hard times but um dad had to let myself and my brother go which is obviously one of the hardest things he would have ever had to do in his life and um yeah we went off and found other things and then the darts came along so um you know everything sort of one door closes another door opens you're listening to Humans of Speedway. I'm Ian Brannan. I'm joined by 2015 BDO World Darts Champion Scott Mitchell. And we'll talk more about darts in just a bit, Scott. But let's turn our attention now to Speedway. And are you like so many other people I've spoken to, uh, the sort of person who was introduced to Speedway at an early age? Has it always been a constant for you, sort of going down to uh, to Wimborne Road to watch pool, or, or were you a late discoverer of the sport? Um, yes, very, very, very young. Apparently, my, my, I've been told by my mother that my first Speedway meeting uh, at pool, I went through the turnstiles at two weeks old in a carry cot. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're, we're talking <laughs> mum and dad were into the Speedway in a big way um, at that time, which we, we're now talking the 70s when they were, well, was sort of just in their early 20s uh, when they had me. And of course, my my dad and my my dad's brother, they were into it big time. So he would, Uncle Richard would come with us every week. My grandparents were the ones that started them going sort of back in probably, I, I would say the late 50s, probably. Mm -hmm. um, may, maybe even a bit earlier than that. And, and they used to go, you know, they, they told me stories about sort of riding or catching trains and, and riding bikes from sort of Hinton Admiral near Bransgore and, um, you know, getting off of bikes and riding to the stadium and then riding back and getting a train back. It's just amazing how they used to do it then. It wasn't as easy as getting in a car and just going, you know. So um, you can say it's in the blood, I think. There's three or, three or four generations of the course. A small village like ours, everybody went. So, you mm. know, if there was going to be a burglary on in our village uh, back in the 60s, it would be on a Wednesday night when everybody was at Paul. So, um, at Wimborne Road. So, um, you know, there was there were four or five cars used to go from the village um, back then, which is, you know, half the village gone. So it was, um, it was, a, Speedway was a pretty big thing in my life back then. And um, I probably in the early 70s, and as I was growing up, I probably wasn't into football. So probably the late 70s when I was seven, eight, nine years old, I, it was just Speedway, Speedway, Speedway. Yeah, you, you tend to find that. And it's similar from my, um, how I, sort of got into speedway as well you know it's the same as you said like my my grandparents is my grandma that went she used to go to edinburgh um again sort of early 50s or, or, or around then and then it's gone through the family really and um hopefully I, I can get my daughter to go but she she doesn't she's only four and she doesn't really like the sound of loud bikes at the minute which is the main obstacle um it's, but we'll get there. it's funny I've, I've taken my kids as well and um, my daughter absolutely loves it she's 26 she's She's always loved it. Um, whenever we get, because my first actual, when I met my wife, I took her on a date to Paul Speedway. My first time, we were about 17 or 18 or something. 
and uh yeah and, and our first date i took her to paul speedway and um she she liked it but as the kids were younger and, and the expense of it all and we you know you didn't have a lot of money so both of us couldn't go so i kept going because that was my sort of weekly thing really and sharon stayed home um with the kids and then we, we went out as family nights we we did it as a family night as a treat sort of two or three times a year when we could afford to do it and then um yeah my son really can take it or leave it he's he's not bothered he'll sit and watch it on the telly with me or whatever but not not worried about coming to paul to watch it but casey comes every week and she doesn't miss it so um yeah good daddy daughter time yeah it is a great family day out i think that's what makes speedway isn't it? it's the whole the whole occasion but um is it right that you though were you into your motorbikes in general and, and you were sort of into motocross as a youngster yeah yeah well we we i mean down 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 south we had this um a couple of friends of mine used to ride schoolboy motocross and um they that i would go with them as sort of like eight or nine or ten and, and watch them riding motocross so i was into motocross as well and um one of them actually was mark seabright uh he was a friend of mine at 10 years old and now spanners for doily so um, <laughs> uh, it, it's quite strange and he had a grass track career and um uh jeff wiltshire was southern center champion a grass tracker and uh, you know 10 or 12 years older than me and uh, they used to live one in our live in one of our farmhouses. His father did. So um, there was just an everything around me. And uh, Pete Pete Monday, God rest his soul, uh, lived about a mile away from our farm, and he used to come down and test his bikes back in the '60s on my granddad's farm. You know, there was nowhere to test bikes, speedway bikes then. So he used to come down on a grass field, and and Pete used to test them there. You know, so um, you know, I, I suppose I had no choice. Uh, that, that that speedway was always going to be kind of the number one sport for me and, and probably always will be. But with your background in motocross, obviously an interest in bikes in general, did you never consider giving Speedway a bash at all? I mean, could you have been the 2015 World Speedway champion instead of darts? No, I'm, if you've not seen me on the telly, I am a bit of a lump really. So I, I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I have the figure for a dart player, but not for a Speedway rider, to be totally honest. So um, I rode, I made right across from probably 18 to about 24. And then when we had the children, um you know i was blatting up a straight on, on one and there was there was katie my daughter three four months old waving at daddy going up the straight flat out in fifth gear and i thought if i crash now the wife's not earning i'm the only one earning um we've got a house to the job uh this is this is starting to take too many more risks than i need to be taking here so uh that's and and the fact that i'd sort of did some some 500 cc sort of amateur amca british championship qualifiers and uh, failed to qualify for the top 40 in the country so I kind of knew that I wasn't good enough I was, I was daft enough I just wasn't fast enough so um and, and I wasn't <laughs> committed enough probably you know I I didn't want to go out running every night and all that sort of thing to make me as fit as a top guy so um you know things happen for a reason and and uh yeah I just decided to, to to knock it on the head and I've been in every hospital in the south of England you know and, and you start going to hospital and they go oh, hi Scott at the emergency ward when you're going in again um it it kind of you know and dad was at home going what am i going to do with you i've I've had a sort of like an ankle in cast and 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 he's put me in the tractor and gave me and 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 strapped my leg up because i had to have my leg elevated so he strapped my leg up to the steering column in my tractor and i've gone off silaging for the day and he's given me a a bottle and said i said i can't get out and go to the toilet and he's given me a bottle and said well there you go you'll be able to empty that out the window every couple of hours and i thought thanks dad so it was getting to the point where I was getting injured and it was affecting my work as well. So, um, you know, it, it was time but at 24 years old. I matured myself to say I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, you paint a glamorous picture there. Um, Speedway, though, is uh, a high 
risk sport, as as we well know. I think maybe if that is the case, you maybe made the the better decision. Darts, you definitely see less spectacular injuries in darts, even at worst. Uh, absolutely, and I mean, my, my, I'd love to have a go. That's my one regret. I would, I've always wanted to have a go on a speedway bike. That's my one regret. But um, now I'm, I'm the ripe old age of fifty, and it's um, probably not the right time to start doing things like that. And uh, the wife has said she'd divorce me if I get on another bike. So. The problem with it is, is, is the fact that obviously if I go and have a little blat and I can't even play cricket or anything, if I break a finger or whatever, then I can't throw a dart properly. So, um, you know, any, any injury to me, any, any injury to me right hand side or, you know, my arm or anything would, would affect the rest of it. So, so the way that life works at the moment is a nice little small farm dabbling away at the darts and uh, keep the wolf from the door and everything's happy. But Barry Bishop has actually offered me a, a little ride on the Isle of Wight if I want to go to the skid school over there. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've not been brave enough to tell the wife yet. Uh, now she knows that's the problem, but uh, I, I, I won't be going. As lovely an offer that Barry's made, it, uh, yeah, I probably won't be going. Yeah, I, I, I do look at it. I've looked at it before and I thought, yeah, it'd be really good fun to do that. And then the other part of me thinks, do you know what? But if you went over on your ankle uh, or, or your knee or something like that, it's just like, uh, that's why I'm not a speedway rider. <laughs> no, no, me too. I'm just, I'm just too fat, really. That's the main problem. There is a hidden side to Scott Mitchell, 2015 BDO World Darts Champion, and that is that your arm is in demand and makes some fairly regular and quite prominent TV appearances. I mean, uh, this obviously must be a great thing, that t- to be a movie star but not be recognised. Well, I'm not sure I'm supposed to say, but I, I, I'm like the stig of the darts world. You know, I've, I've thrown darts on Holby City... Um, I've thrown in East End as I've been in the Queen Vic and threw a few as well for them. So, wow. um, yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> cut and you jump in between Friel Mitchell and uh, Danny Dyer or whatever. I'm um, Steve McFadden and Danny Dyer and going at a trouble 20, a bullseye, a double, something else. And then they go, right, that's it. Thanks, Scotty. See ya. Off you go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's quite, quite, um, quite funny. And uh, you do have to pinch yourself to think that you get to do some of these things and um, obviously lately they haven't happened in the last sort of uh, year we haven't had anything because of Covid so um, I haven't had anything in that sort of line but it, it's been it's been a lot of fun a lot of fun you meet an awful lot of people uh, sort of like a, a stunt arm yeah very much so I mean when I, when I first went to EastEnders the first time I went to EastEnders um, Barbara Windsor was uh, uh, filming her last scenes uh, oh, she. so yeah. I was there my first day uh, on a Monday She she came in and uh, she wandered in and put her hands on my shoulders. I was sat on the sofa in the green room and she kind of came in the door and put her hands on, on my shoulders and said, oh, who are you? And I, I was like, oh, my God, this is Barbara Windsor touching me. It was, um, yeah, it was really weird. And I, I looked around and I said, hi, Babs, I'm, I'm just a former darts world champion. I'm, I'm throwing a few darts in the Queen Vic for the ladies' dart team today. And she said, you throw them, you throw them exactly where we need them, love. You make us look good. <laughs> and I looked around at her and I looked over my shoulder and looked at her and you know what the only thing that could go through my head I've seen your boobs and carry on camping <laughs> that, that, that was the first thing that came into my head and it should never have done but I, how many people is that going to be how, 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 everybody would have thought that surely wouldn't they I can't be the only one <laughs> well at least it didn't come out of your mouth it didn't no it was just going through <laughs> my head I was thinking oh my goodness what a thing to think she was lovely well, absolutely yeah. when you hear people say how lovely she is you, you, i can say she is she was she's lovely oh good it must be a bit different for you though being thrust into that world of suddenly being around these household names that you see on tv every day i was very nervous about meeting danny dyer actually 
Mm-hmm. But actually, How was that? He was great. I, I just I just had this impression of him. I thought, I'm not going to like him. I'm not going to like him. And he, yeah. he calls me Fatty. Oi, Fatty. Hi, Danny. How you doing? He's, uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I, ate some, I, ate fr- I ate some food with him when I was there. And uh, yeah, he'd, he'd ordered some food in. And he said, Oi, Fatty, come here and eat some food with me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I've got some Chinese. I've got too much here. He said, come and eat some food with me. I said, oi, I might not like it. He said, you do not get that fat without eating Chinese. Come here and sit down. So we came and sat down. No, it's fair. Absolutely fair. So we came and sat down and we had a good chat. And uh, yeah, he's he's a really nice guy. You know, obviously he's so busy and we're so busy. You don't ever stay in touch or anything. But, um, you know, it's, it's lovely. It is lovely. And you also have the unlikely accolade of being a body double for Johnny Depp, if that is still an accolade these days. But um, nonetheless, a while ago, it did it did happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was exactly double his size. Right. That's probably what it was. <laughs> He's only a little man. I reckon I'm double his weight exactly. Yeah, no, we, 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 back in 2013, it's funny what comes with, with, with getting good with the darts and everything. And um, there's a period where you're, you're very topical. And, and I suppose most sportsmen have, have sort of understood this and... Um, I've had to learn it at a lovely age in, in my 40s, which is lovely because, uh, you know, a little bit more about life then. If it happened to me in my 20s, I would really think I was the boy, you know. But um, <laughs> happening in your 40s, you, you go, oh, it's lovely what's going on. It's lovely. But, um, yeah, I, I got asked to do a, a, a to, to play, throw some darts on a film set um, in, a, in a film called London Fields. And it, and it, um, it was an adaptation of a book by Martin Amos. It was a, an author and... Uh, yeah, I had to go sort of varying places in London, which was really cool because I hadn't really, I've had no real need to go to London. So um, I've been a few times with the school and, and things like that and uh, when I was a kid, but I didn't really, I really am a country boy. So um, yeah, to go to London and, and, and go onto these film sets in varying, varying locations around London and, and throw for varying um, people, it was um, pretty cool. And, and one of the scenes that I had to actually do was... was um, stand obviously sideways onto the board with with Johnny Depp with his I had to crouch down so that I was the same height as him so I was crouched down because I'm six foot five and Johnny's five foot eight so I was crouched down to be the same height as him and he had to back in between my knees with his backside which is a a position a lot of women would love to be in um Johnny Depp backing into them uh, not well not lately maybe but that's another court case coming up that's another court case coming up but um yeah uh yeah he he backed in and sort of his bottom was on my crutch and uh the the, the film the, the way that the cinematography is brilliant because how they managed to block me out with a little five foot eight man i don't know um but basically they filmed the side of his head and his hand and uh he pulled his hand back and i threw the dart past so it was my arm went through the shot and hit a bullseye for johnny to win one of the games <laughs> and uh, obviously johnny was quite a humorous fella and he said you enjoying that he said it took you three goes to do it i said actually i was surprised i managed to do it in the third attempt i thought it was going to take 23 but um because <laughs> it's kind of in your spatial zone it was very weird but um to be on that film set was was kind of amazing there were other sort of guys like jim sturgis and people like that and it um uh yeah it was uh it was great and there was other dart players like bobby george and things in it as well so um had bit parts and we had extras parts as ourselves sat in the back and I, I've, I wear kind of a flamboyant uh, bright pink and black and what have you shirt and I was the only one that the sets designers didn't have to have design a shirt for because mine was loud enough because it was set in the future <laughs> so um, yeah but it's great great thing to do great thing to anything like that is great to do we've done a few things as well but um, yeah that was that one's a memorable one. 
This is Humans of Speedway. Welcome along. I'm Ian Brannan, and uh, our guest in this episode is a former world darts champion, Scott Mitchell, and also a massive Pool Pirates fan, and he's going to be choosing his all-time team and designing his dream meeting in just a little bit. But let's turn our attention now to your darts career, Scott. And We've spoken on this podcast before about when it comes to sport, how being an early starter is, is always really important in order to be successful later in life. However, when it comes to darts, you can disprove that theory because you were a relatively late starter and still became a world champion. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't start doing the kind of professional circuit till I was like 39 or 40. And wow. a lot of it's circumstance. A lot of it, it was partly still doing the farm. A lot of it was, was finding your feet in life. And um, I think I got, I started throwing darts at a young age back in the 70s when Mum and Dad would go round a friend's house in the village and they'd take a dartboard up, put it on the back of the kitchen door and the kids would have a dartboard on a on a chair somewhere and we'd, we'd throw a dart. Not seriously, but that's probably where I first found out about darts. So, um, you know, in the, in the 70s probably when, when there wasn't a lot of money around at that time and uh, we would, I, I then sort of never really touched the dart and I started um, Young Farmers. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Young Farmers movement. Oh, up yes. Down the country. It's, <laughs> it's the most greatest movement. You're there from 10 to 26 and uh, it, it's just, it made me Young Farmers did. So um, about 16, maybe we, we'd go back to the pub and, and uh, I could only drink a Coke then. So we'd go back to our local club and on a Friday night, all the village were in the, in the pub and everybody would be having a game of darts and you'd put your name up and you so you had to, learn how to mark a game before you could play they wouldn't let you play until you could mark a game of darts and count so um i had a few weeks of marking a few games and then i managed to get on and um i'd get one game and i'd get stuffed by the local hero and i thought oh, this is getting on my nerves here i've got to get better at this so i started to sort of play around about 16 or 17 but of course as we said earlier i started riding motocross when i was 18 and and so i got quick a good at, at darts pretty quickly um, but I thought the darts was an old man's game, so I could come back to it later. So, whereas motocross, you can't jump on them at 50 years old. Well, there's a few people that are, but um, yeah. so, so I couldn't. So I didn't start playing county darts till the kids were sort of a bit older and stuff. And I was about 29 or 30 and, and I just didn't go well at it. I was always a little bit of a nervous sort playing on stage. It just didn't work. And I remember after my like, fourth time that, that Dorset had dropped me, they said, um, you just haven't got it for darts, Scott. You're not going to make it. I've I've been a manager for 20 years, and I can just see you haven't got it. Go home and, and give it up and, and, and enjoy your kids and take them out weekends. Don't come doing this because you just haven't got it. And I was there in tears at like 30 years old going, I'll show you. I'll show you. And, uh, yeah, it took me 15 years, but I did. But what's the journey from, from playing darts in your local pub or in, in a local team or league to, to getting to be the world champion? I mean, what is that journey like? Well, we'd, we'd, started, we'd started getting sort of like big names come around local pubs around the area and I was putting on a good show against them and, and beating one or two of them. So they'd come down and do exhibitions at pubs. And so, um, and, and, and a few people, uh, I, I qualified for a TV tournament called the UK Open in 2007. And it was it was open, so I played in a little pub in Christchurch and, and won that round in Dorset. Then I had to go to another round um, in in Somerset, and I won that, and that put me to the TV stages of the UK Open in 2007. And I went on, uh, won two games, and then lost in 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 one of the games to to the world champion at the time, Yellow Class, and I lost to him eight four or eight five, and. Um, yeah, when I came home, all of a sudden there was there were some people going, we'd like to we'd like to sponsor you and, and, and put you on the BDO circuit. 
And I resisted for a year. I felt the kids were too young. I resisted for about a year. And then in 2008, I just, you know, they were still hounding me a little bit. And I decided to, to sort of go on the circuit right at the end of 2008, um, which gave me a full year to get to the 2010 uh, BDO World Championships. And, and that's exactly what I did. So um, I was very fortunate to get those sponsors. And, and um, yeah, so it was, it, I, I played my first World Championships in 2010. For the passive darts watcher, um, like many people do, you know they enjoy the uh, the annual Ali Pali and and maybe the Premier League darts and and maybe the Lakeside one as well, of course, the BDO that you, that you won. But there's much more to darts than that. It's a year round thing. There's tournaments constantly and and tournaments happening uh, that are not screened on TV in in small venues, hotels like where you are that you're speaking to us right now. You're getting ready to take part in one of those events. Um, what is it like? And, and how demanding is it to, to be a darts player? Yeah, with the BDO, it was worse than that. We were, we were traveling to, to, to Spain, you know, Germany, Belgium, France, uh, Denmark, Holland, uh, Sweden. We were having to do a full circuit, which was, which was quite expensive to do um, for, for three tournaments a year that were on the TV. So, so that we could sort of put ourselves out there and sell ourselves. So, um, yeah, it was, it was more difficult, whereas the PDC is, uh, more based in the UK, it's it's more sort of northern. It's 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 Barnsley and Wigan. Most of the pro tours are played, and uh, we've played one at Milton Keynes, and 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 obviously now we're here at Coventry. So, um, yeah, it's it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to do with with the BDO. You just jump on it, and you have a chance to qualify. With the PDC, you you have to get a tour card and be in the top one two eight before you can can sort of qualify for a lot of the TV tournaments. So I had to go to their Q school in January of this year. Um, and unfortunately, I failed to get in the top 24 to obtain a, a, a tour card. So um, I've been on the lower tour this year, which is called the Challenge Tour. And the Challenge Tour sort of, again, is, is based in England. Um, and we've had 10 Challenge Tour events this year, which I ended up finishing fifth. I have about 700, but that still wasn't enough to get me a tour card. The top two got a tour card. So I've got to go back to Q school next year. But but the advantage of being in the challenge tour at number five, it means every time on the pro tour, which is the one above, um, people miss out. Like I believe this weekend, uh, Michael Van Gerwen's missing out with a back injury. So mm. as soon as somebody from, from the top one misses out, they go down to the number one at the challenge tour and, and promote them in to, to, to get them into the system. And, and I'm at number five this weekend and, and uh, I've been promoted in and I've been to all of them all year. Cause I've, I was at number one most of the year. So um, it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult at this level because the level in the PDC is is higher, the standard is higher. There's a lot more players doing the averages, um, and, and of course I'm still working. Where a lot of the players, you know, the top twenty players are all professionals. So when you when you go against them, they've been practicing sort of four or five hours a day, and and I've, I've been lucky to get sort of three hours a week in <laughs> with the farm. Mm. So um, you know, and I've been moving a thousand little bales of hay on a certain day, and the last thing you want to do is go and pick up a twenty-five gram dart and throw it at a board. So um, you know, there's 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 reasons and ways, but uh, um, it, it is what it is. And 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 like I say, bit, I feel really fortunate that we've been able to play at all this year. So um, you know, you you just I'm trying to progress and trying to get that tour card so that I can try and get into the elitist part of of the sport before I get too old.
Yeah, well, we'd love to see you out there, when, and hopefully with fans back in, um, of course, next year as well is is obviously the hope, and um, fingers crossed that that can you know get back to normal because that's the that's part of the thing with the with the darts, isn't it? It's the atmosphere of uh, oh, of, of the crowd uh, behind you. It's amazing. You, you take people to the darts that have never been to darts, don't even like darts, and they'll go to a darts evening and learn it through the evening as it goes on and they come home and I've I've taken people uh, with me as guests you know sponsors that have sponsored me and, and and haven't had a lot to do with darts and they come out of lakeside or and they go wow I really want to do this again the atmosphere is absolutely amazing and it and it is it is as a fan even even the nights that I wasn't playing at lakeside I'd like to go and sit in the crowd and watch my mates play it was just it's just a fantastic atmosphere and and the fans make that and, and it's the same with speedway it's the fans make it, and uh, and and you've got to have them in there, and, and it's and it's hard to motivate yourself to to play well when the fans aren't there. In the previous episode that we did in Humans of Speedway, we spoke to Gary Havelock, who was the 1992 World Speedway champion, as you will be well aware. Um, and, and in that, when he was talking about winning the World Championship, he he sort of alluded to the fact that he kind of knew he had it won you know, fairly early doors in, in that meeting. He knew that that was his night. And, and if he didn't do it that night, then who knows what would have happened another night. I mean, did you feel like that when, when you were taking part in that tournament? Obviously, it was over a number of days, but were you confident in yourself that you knew that you had it in the bag or did the nerves get to you in a, in a different way? To, to, to be honest, I felt very confident. You, you've got to have a bit of confidence to go to play any sport. And, and I'd had the most amazing 2014. I'd won six or seven tournaments. Um, I'd gone in at, at number, you know, I was either winning a tournament or going out early. So if I could get a couple of games under my belt, it, it was good. So I, I, I remember putting the bag in the car when we left home the Friday night to, to travel up to, to Lakeside. And uh, I said to my wife, Sharon, I put the case in the boot and I said, you know what, if I don't win this World Championships this year, I'll never win it. And uh, that was the confidence that I had going into it. And I was very relaxed. I, was, I wasn't worried about any game. Um, it was just everything was happening the way that I thought it would be, and, and I was going to sudden death deciders and <laughs> winning last legs, and but I had the confidence to win them, and you know, and I'd had years probably, I think six or seven times before I'd been knocked out third round, at first round three times, my first three attempts, and then the next two years I got knocked out second round, so it wasn't like I had any form at Lakeside, I think. I think people were backing me at 80 to 1, sort of like at, at the start of the week. And, and um, yeah, yeah, that, some people made some good money on me that week. And you made some good money as well. I mean, what do you do with £100,000 worth of winnings other than buy a tractor? Yeah, my dad, had, I, I, I don't remember my dad ever having a new tractor. And, and I thought that the money would get me a new one. But I, I was that out of touch that, uh, no, it didn't. So I went and bought him <laughs> a, a new second-hand one. Um very new, nothing that we'd ever had before. One that starts on the key, you didn't have to tow it with another one or leave it on a hill to bump start it, which was what we were touring round in our old wreckers, which are fun, but um, yeah, they're not fun when you're in a hurry. Um, so yeah, I, I bought my dad a tractor, um, which which uh, then saw me on Country File, you know, um, uh, Country. Uh, uh, Helen Skelton was was a reporter at Lakeside, and, and I said in the semi-final, she said. Um, so what happens if you if you get home with all this money? I said, I'll buy my dad a new tractor. And that was the daftest thing I'd ever said. And the only thing that my dad had ever remembered that I'd said, funny enough, because I, he, I said lots of things to him in the past. He'd forgotten them, but he, he remembered that I said, I'll buy my new tractor. So, um, yeah, we when, when I won it, you know, all of a sudden I've got all the local tractor dealers on, on the phone. 
it was quite funny. <laughs> it was quite funny because so I knew that they'd all been watching as well. Yeah, uh, here's a man that's in the market for a new tractor and he's got the Absolutely. cash. Absolutely. So, so um, <laughs> Alice Gelton was on Country File at the time. She was a reporter and she said, if you get this tractor for your dad, I want it on Country File. I said, and I want to come down to Dorset and, and be there when it comes. I said, you're welcome to. So so then we sourced the tractor and, and that kind of happened. So I'm on, I'm on Country File on a Sunday night being watched by 12 million people or 10 million people, I think it was that night. Yeah, only four and a half million had watched me hit the winning double in a world championship. And I throw a set of keys at me dad uh, for a tractor and 10 million people are watching me on country file on a Sunday evening. <laughs> so that was, that was a bit of a head mess. You know, how does that work? So, um, but yeah, loved it. Loved it. It was um, best thing. Helen Skelton um, came and was on work experience at a radio station I used to work at when she was, uh, you know, just at university or whatever. And uh, so it's quite weird seeing her she, on the she's TV. She's crazy now. mad she's and right. lovely, isn't she? She's just a lovely person. Yeah. Oh, she was great. I remember we had like some kind of staff night out, and she was still like the work experience kid. And uh, yeah, she was, she was, she was all over it. It was, uh, it was, it was great. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. Her brother's a, a, a was a professional footballer as well. Oh her, right, okay. Her brother used to play in uh, in Scotland. Yeah, and I know she's, she's with Richard. He's with Lee Rhinos now. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah Richard Myers. Small world, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. Okay, well, on, on to Speedway then, and, and we, we sort of touched on how you got involved in Speedway. You're, you're a regular fan. I mean, how often do you, do you get down there sort of these days? I mean, 2020 accepted, but let's go back to last in, year. In, and, uh, every week, yeah. I don't miss. Um, yeah. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was lovely. You know, I've, I've become uh, friends with Matt Ford and, and um, Danny Ford, so uh, they're, they're obviously promoting the place and have done for the last few years, and, and it, that was going on before I was a world champion, if I'm totally honest. Um, after I'd been to, to a couple of lakesides and I walked in and, um, you know, I've done a few things down there at Paul as well with Matt and uh, um, it just, you know, it's my club. It's, you know, going through the turnstiles at two weeks old. It's just kind of amazing. It's, um, you know, I remember not all the riders because you don't, but, um, you know, it's it's crazy. I, I, you know, I go all gaga when I meet when I met Roscoe and people like that, you know, how do you go gaga when you meet Alan Rossiter? But, but they were my heroes. They were my people that were, you know, belting around that track, trying to win trophies for our club. And, um, you know, and I've, and I've got to meet a few of them now. And, and obviously where I've got in the sport, everybody knows that, that I've been a world champion. And now, you know, I, I stand in different places. I get to stand by the pits. And um, Midlow was one of my heroes as a kid. And now he's one of my mates. I bought a mini digger off him about three years ago, you know. And it, it's just... Um, it's yeah. I, I I have to pinch myself to to think that I'm lucky enough to get what I do. And and last season I was I was actually doing some um, commentary for for rerun. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, for, for Steve at rerun. So um, I was going out and interviewing the riders, and obviously it's a little bit easier for me because some of the riders know who I am, so they're always quite happy to stop and chat. And um, yeah, had some had some good fun with Nikolai Clint. We just didn't talk Speedway hardly ever. Uh, and, I, and I managed to get on the rerun DVD. So, um, you know, with my bloopers, the bloopers one at the end of the year for about five minutes with all the mistakes I was making. Because um, <laughs> it's just not, it's not natural, but I absolutely loved every minute of it. So, um, yeah, that was, you know, it was, it was good fun. You know, 2019 was really good fun. I really enjoyed that season. Although we didn't do as, as well as we would hope but as a team, but um, for me, um, you know, getting out onto that. The only time I'd ever been on the centre green was um, probably in the 70s when there was a bomb scare 
And I remember Dad throwing me over the fence, and then and then a couple of years ago, you know, Matt said, "Would you want to come out on the centre green and watch a race?" And I'm like, "Oh my god!" Um, and and I feel like that every time I walk, I get up to go on the centre green. It's um, it is amazing. It's an amazing feeling, and and I am. I'm like a kid in a candy store when I when I when I get to pull. It um, it excites me the place even driving by it in December, and there's nobody there. Um, but yeah, it's either in you or it isn't, you know. You alluded to it just briefly and mentioned a couple of riders, uh, Roscoe and, and, and Midlow. But which riders were you huge fans of when you, when you were growing up and in those formative years when you were getting into Speedway as a youngster? Yeah, Roscoe. Roscoe was sort of in the 80s, obviously, when we were down in second division. He was Captain Marvel, wasn't he? And, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He had plenty to say for himself. If any of the fans didn't like it, he, he'd give it back. And I kind of <laughs> liked that. And uh, um, yeah, you know, in the 70s, it was um, Super Simo and... Um, but I was only very young then. I was only eight or nine, and, and so you you know, we had all those little Britain Speedway toys then, and mine would always have a number one on the back. I'd paint on the back, and it'd be Simo and um, just riders like him. Eric Broadbelt was was a bit of a crazy man. We liked him, um, and and it just it just kind of went on through. And Boise was great, and I met Boise, and like I say, I get to know Roscoe now. Roscoe keeps asking me for dartboards now because he's got a pub. So um, yeah, <laughs> me and Roscoe get on with that, and, and I go to Swindon as well. Um, if I've if I've got the time to be able to jump in the car after work and get up to Swindon, I go to Swindon as well now. Um, the last couple of years to, to to meetings when I can get there. So um, yeah, it's been the last three or four years have been amazing. I've I've really loved it since being world champion. It's just opened up a few things, and um, yeah. So so those were the kind of kind of riders, and then up to modern day sort of. Um, Chris and Darcy and uh, Jack. Uh, Bjarni Pedersen was another favour of mine. Um, Mr. Loyal to Paul, he was amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So and and I, and I know them all. And, you know, it's uh, it's um, yeah, it's, it's quite quite weird, quite weird. Yeah, I mean, a couple of the previous episodes actually that um, we've done, we've sort of had conversation about various riders that have been involved in pool if people haven't checked them out yet definitely worth listening to the roy clark episode that we did um because bjarna pedersen used to live at his house yeah and uh there's a few st- <laughs> a few stories there about him and uh, fellow danes and also we had gary havelock on uh, the last one and you know he was saying about what a well-run club pool is and and how you know ever since matt ford took over you know it's been the matt ford midlow partnership and, and what a difference that's made since since they took over at the club massively massively they are they are our eric and ernie or you know um they are really they're, they're a double act they're a double tip their team you know midlow's been the winningest um manager in the in the recent times and, and obviously matt's been the promoter that's brought the trophies and um i i have a saying that in in, in matt we trust you know and and He's brought in riders and thinking, who the hell is this guy? And then he just goes out there and rides this bike like he stole it. And I don't know who's given the tip off. And But these guys have come, you know, like Vatad Milik and, and uh, people, people going, who the hell is this fella? Yeah. And, oh, my. He's a nutter. He's brilliant, you know. And, 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 and he kept pulling these ones out of the bag and kept pulling them out of the bag. And, um, you know, I think... I think even in the last few years, I think we, when we when we signed Nikolai Clint, I think a few people sort of raised their eyebrows a bit. But I think Nikolai was great for us because he's a great team man, um, mm-hmm. and I think Paul were great for him um, in in helping him get get back on track to where he needed to be. He was um, he's another one of my friends. He's a good guy, and, and uh, yeah, we we we've, we've had a good few years, and 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 you know, we just want to get back out on track and see if we can have another few. 
And you wore the pool pirates emblem on your shirt, didn't you? When you well, well did you still yeah, do I that do, when yeah. you were playing? I, yes, I still do. Yeah, yeah. I've always, um, mm. you know, a lot of people have a, a sponsor on their left arm, and I don't. I have to. I have a skull and crossbones. It's always with me, and um, my replica shirts get printed with them on. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's um, but but that's how my friendship. I've, I've become very friendly. The club is a community club. Paul is a Paul is a club that's that you know we've. In the last few years, they've been doing like um, five-a-side football tournaments on the centre green before the game and before the matches yeah. and and things like that. You know, the the, the, the club want the community involved and, and and they try to promote it the best way they can. And Matt, Matt does a great job of that. This is Humans of Speedway. Scott Mitchell, 2015 BDO World Darts Champion, is with us. He's a massive Pool Pirates fan and he's going to be designing his dream Speedway meeting very soon in our Speedway Paradise section. Right now, some questions. Uh, put a little thing on social media just before we recorded this and um, a few questions for you. If you can uh, give us the answers, Scott. The first one comes from Michelle Tucker. <laughs> put yourself... Do you know Michelle? Yes, I do know Michelle, right. yeah. Put yourself in this position. The Pirates need a 5-1 in Heat 15. Which pairing do you choose? Darcy Ward and Chris Holder or Lee Adams and Tony Rickardson? Oh, Michelle. Really? <laughs> oh, um, uh, I, I, oh, dear. I'd have to go Darcy and Chris. I'd have to Darcy go Darcy because yeah. it would be... We we need we would need Lee to trap it and Tony would do the rest. Um, but I think Chris and Darcy would probably let the other two go and then catch him for the entertainment value. I think. Okay, that's so based on entertainment done. value. I think on the entertainment value, I think Darcy and Chris may have been slightly more entertainment, slightly only because Lee Adams would trap it and go. He was such a good gator, so. There would be no entertainment from Lee; he'd just be gone, um, and and Tony would do the work to to do. I, I just, do you know what? I don't really know. She's she knows what she was doing there. Thanks she, for that, it, Michelle. I really appreciate that. Yeah, she knew you were putting putting you in an impossible position, but she does say, "See you in March." Absolutely, my <laughs> love. See you in March. <laughs> and uh, who's this one? Stuart in Manchester. Um, is it true David Essex was your father, Christmas? At school. That is um, no, it was at my Sunday school. We, Sunday we had a Sunday school. school in our village. Yes, when I was a youngster, and um, yes, so the, the lady that ran the Sunday school was actually our, our neighbouring farmer, Margaret Creighton. And um, so my mum, my mum would push me and my brother off to Sunday school on a Sunday morning. Margaret would come and pick us up, and and this Sunday school sort of Christmas party she had at her house, um, and, it, and it turned out that her her daughter had met David Essex in a pub somewhere. Uh, local to us and David Essex turned up and was yeah was was our father Christmas handed out the Christmas presents at our Sunday school Christmas party it was around <laughs> the time that he was in Silver Dream Racer in 19 what would that have been 1980 1981 maybe yeah it was big around it was then, massive wasn't it? film yeah. it was massive in the day and um I think it was not long it was either just before or just after that because my dad was um on their farm helping him teaching him how to ride a motorbike for the Silver Dream Racer movie Oh, they had a little. Wow. They had a little. I don't know, an old. I don't know what it was. A Honda one eight five or something field bike, and they were just teaching him how to ride it. Um, so yeah, so that was opposite our house. So yeah, that's. I met him after that as well. Wow! If only David Essex had taken up speedway, eh? we could be having a different conversation. I'm not so sure from the way when he was learning that he would have been able to do it. To be honest, no disrespect, <laughs> David, if you're listening, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
if David Essex is listening to this, I'll be very impressed Don't, and shocked. You never know. You just never <clears> know <throat> with this World Wide Web business. Exactly. You, you do never know. What would be uh, the best atmosphere that you've experienced at both a darts and a speedway event? Uh, and which would be the best one? So I guess you've been to Cardiff um, and so on. Have you? Yeah, yeah, movies? I've been to Cardiff. Um, unfortunately, the t- I've, I've been to Cardiff nearly every year. And two of the years I missed, Chris, Chris uh, Holder won and uh, Chris Harris won. That was the two years I missed because I was playing darts. Unfortunately, we had a tournament on that weekend, and uh, when you have sponsors uh, helping you out to get where you go, you, you've got to do the right thing. So um, yeah, I went to the things. So I think I think Cardiff is the most amazing atmosphere. But I've got to I've got to say, in 2018, when Chris Harris passed Jason Doyle, turn three at, uh, against Somerset, Paul against Somerset. I've I've never seen anything like it. The the crowd, nowhere near the crowd that you see at a, a GP or whatever, and 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 just the elation of, we all we we thought we were going to Golden Eats. We you know nobody had ever done that. Even Kelvin was commentating. They thought they were going to Golden Eats, and um, where Bomber got that pass from, I don't know. Um, yeah. And I just remember being out. I I was I was actually stood by the pits that night, and there's a, there's a fence that goes along the pits that's about six or eight foot high, and I managed to get on top of it. The adrenaline, I jumped up, managed to get my leg over it, and I'm sat on top of the fence. I don't know, you want to see me? I'm a lump. I, if you asked me to get over it for a tenner, I wouldn't do it. But somehow that night, with the adrenaline and what was going on, I managed to jump and sit on the top of it. Um, just the most amazing scenes, because that was, that was you know, what it was, was like for the club and everything. And, and obviously, for me, it, it, was, it was winning the World Championship and, and, and hitting that winning double and, and turning around, and the crowd cheered so loudly that the breath in that their breath in lakeside hit me like somebody blowing a heater like a hairdryer in your face if you turn yeah. a hairdryer around and blow that on full hot in your face when i turned around and the crowd were cheering that was what came and hit me talk about covid i was pleased it wasn't around then but um <laughs> you know it, it, it was the most i'll never forget that not the moment of just hitting it the moment of turning around and going oh my god i've won and that that breath that it was like a draft of wind hit me of hot air of, of people cheering towards me and um those those are probably two moments that I'll, I'll i'll take to the grave of me for sure best best one with bomber is the fact that he was all taking all the plaudits and all the interviews in the thing and i was out the back loading his van up i was putting <laughs> his bikes away yeah because <laughs> his mechanic at the time matt reed was my mate is, is a friend of ours and I'm a family friend and uh, obviously he was a racer until his, his big accident when he was 24 a few years ago now and yeah. spent a coma, spent himself in a coma for seven months and um, Matt's a, dear, a, a, a good friend and um, Matt and Claire are friends of the family. So um, yeah, Matt was bannering for uh, Chris that night and um, yeah, so while he was in there having all the interviews and Sky were all over him, this, that and the other, I was chucking all the tools in the van and wheeling bikes back to his van and having it load up so that when he could come out, he could go home. Oh, there you go. I'm nice see, like that, see. I, yeah. I've touched a speedway bike, I just can't get on one. I'm allowed to touch <laughs> them and push them, but I'm not allowed to ride them. Oh, well, it's the safest way, I would say. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even safe for pushing them, really, but there we go. Let's move on to the um, Speedway Paradise section of our chat then, because we do this with every guest that we've had on. And it started off as a sort of a more brief chat at the end, but it's sort of become a little bit more in-depth depending on on where we go, because um, 
what we're going to ask you to do really is choose your your dream one to seven um the the track you would race on the stadium you put that in um referee you can change a rule it's entirely up to you uh blank canvas but the idea is to sort of create your own virtual dream speedway meeting and i suspect pool will be a big influence in this but uh, let's, um, massively yeah let's <laughs> uh, let's start off then with uh with the track that you would have this raced on i mean we're not talking about the uh you know surrounding facilities this is purely the the the, the shale uh, the racetrack and the shape i mean where would we have it well i i do love the national speedway stadium track I think it produces great racing, but because we've already got that in the UK, because it's my fantasy, I want two tracks like that in the UK. So yeah. I, I would probably pick Torren up and put it smack bang in middle, middle of Wimborne Road. That's what I would do with, with that. I would I would put the Torren track in the, in the middle of Wimborne Road. I think I think we've all watched the GPs from there and seen how brilliant that track is. So so my fantasy would be to have the, that track right right there in Paul. Well, if if the if the greyhounds are moving out, I mean, you might have the space. Well, that's another subject, isn't it? We, <laughs> we, we, we could be here all night um, on these things. Um, we we will we will wait and see. It was on there at one point uh, back a few years back, so you never know. It could be again. And um, I mean, for me, I'm a, obviously I, I grew up as a a Halifax and a, a Bradford fan and, and, and Torrens based on Bradford quite quite uh, heavily because Per Johnson designed it. And yeah. Um, yeah, big big banked bends, that's what you need in Speedway. There's not enough of them. No, I agree <laughs> with that. I agree with that. And uh, yeah, it's... It, um, yeah, but, but at the moment I'm feeling this is a daft thing because I just want Speedway. I don't care what track it's on. I just want to see some <laughs> live stuff. But yeah. Just down the cycle, Speedway will be a start. Absolutely. Okay, uh, your dream one to seven then. Now, this can be any rider from any era, alive or not, no points limits. It's entirely up to you. Seven of the best this from you. This is so hard because okay. um, there, are, there, are, there are probably friends that I'm leaving out that I would love to have in, but I've, I've got a, there are reasons for every single one. And, and um, my, my number one, without doubt, would be Super Simo. It would be Malcolm Simmons. I just uh, loved him as a, as a kid. Um, and he just, just I just idolised him and... I even had a spell where I was running around picking up the free golf stickers that they were handing out with the programs that people were dropping on the floor at Wimborne Road. And I stuck them <laughs> over my dad's car, much to his disgust at the time. Um, his, yeah, his, his Hillman Avenger was covered in golf stickers because of Simo. But um, <laughs> yeah, so, so Simo, Simo was, my, was my absolute hero. Um, number two is another kind of hero and, and i spoke about how we we'd done a few grass tracks and things back in the day and um this is where i first saw simon wig and he was he was just so cool you, yes. you look at a picture of simon wig and his equipment now it still looks modern it still looks up to date and i still feel that like the sponsorship side of things he made a big turning point in the way that british riders looked at the racing and and how to bring in sponsors. He he, he was he was just immaculate, and um, I, I never really met him as a person, so I don't know what he was like as a person. But as a rider and a racer, I I really liked him. You know, the blonde locks coming out the back of the lid and everything. He just yeah. had everything for me. Yeah, well, he he again. He I mean, he he rode at Bradford um, for a while, so I mean, and he was incredible. It was like. Um, I think it was about 1990 or 1991, I think he was racing there. And as you say, just the branding, you know, his van looked immaculate, his bikes looked immaculate, everything was, you know, colour-coordinated. And, and he was, I mean, I don't didn't know him or don't know him personally uh, and obviously never will now, but um, 
you know, from from other people who have mentioned him in their teams, uh, have, have have all said, you know, what a what a great guy he was as well. Um, you know, off the track and a great guy to have in the team. Yeah, yeah. So so for that reason alone, and I still still look things up on on YouTube and still watch some of his races and 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 picture archives, and I just think he still looks so cool. So yeah. he was the reason at number two. Number three, I, I couldn't I couldn't not have Bruce Pennell in my team. Um, as a kid, I was I was just amazed by him, and and there was a lot of hype around Bruce, wasn't there? And yeah, um, uh, it was so in, it was so good when he came to Wimborne Road with Cradley or whatever. It was so exciting. You that the place was packed. It was he really did put bums on seats, and I was probably eleven or twelve years old around the time that sort of like Bruce was winning his world championships and stuff. And you know the speedway was on tv a lot then a little bit like the darts you know it was it was on and and, and the link for the darts and the speedway for me was obviously dave lannan as well but yes. um that's another story but but bruce bruce was um you know again like wiggy immaculately turned immaculately turned out you know he was stars and trites there was, there was there was just razzmatazz about bruce and and everything that he did you know you'd, you'd see him arriving in a helicopter on a meeting on the telly or whatever and it was just it was just <laughs> it was superstar stuff which we kind of never really seen the like of that before i don't believe in such a big way with the media no. we, we'd seen riders that are probably as good and as as, as famous or whatever but but bruce took it to another another level so i would always have bruce in in, in the team um number four obviously um, we, we had a great time with, with Tony Ricardson at Paul and, um, you know, he, he, Matt says he was a really important signing for him, you know, for, for, for turning the club around as well. And, um, he was just amazing for us at Paul. And, and uh, again, you just couldn't wait to get through the turnstiles to see him every week. And, uh, and I think most people felt the same. And I was at Cardiff the year that he, he went round and, seemed to ride halfway up the air fence sort of like yes. ice speedway style and go on and win the meet and i just go on and win the race and, and that was the final i just i just can't i still can't get over how he did that but but that's that's tony as a as a, as a motorbike person and um yeah he he'd always he's always been my team so i've got him at number four um mm -hmm. and then at number five i've got jason crump we we had him as a a really raw young man when he came to pool and he'd, he'd sort of like followed the lines of the Australians of Boise and, and people like that. So he came in and was was absolute, just wanted to win. He's just a born winner. And, mm. he, and, he, and he wanted to win every race. It was, you know, he'd, he'd come in a bit stroppy and if he hadn't won. And, and if you want to epitomise what, what, what being a winner is about and, the, and how meticulous he was. And I think um, Jason Jason was just great. I don't, I don't think he was great for World Speedway. I don't think he was just great for, for us at Paul for the time that he was there. He's great for World Speedway. And you look at the hype of him, you know, he would have been riding for Bellevue this year. How great would that have been? You know, what, what a coup that would have been to, to have him in our league this year. But um, sadly, unfortunately, it wasn't to be. So so you get to number five and then you've got to go, well, my, my two reserves are probably Chris Older at number six and Darcy Ward at number seven, mainly <laughs> mainly because they're the Turbo Twins and we absolutely love them. Um, I've been very fortunate enough to meet Chris and uh, on a few occasions I've actually been up to his house, um, done a bit of chain air and a bit of grass cutting for him, bailed, bailed some hay and stuff at his place and took it home for wife. So so Chris um, is is a friend and uh, he's quite a shy guy off the off the track off the off the sort of 
you know we see we see him on camera being sort of like um happy go lucky but when he's off the track he's sometimes a little bit shy and um which is which is quite sort of unbelievable to think really or he, he was when he was around me and of course darcy was probably probably pulled off some of the finest overtaking moves that i've ever seen in there and they're they're only at number six and seven because they're the youngest mm. <laughs> of my bunch so I, put them, <laughs> I put them in the reserve spot so um uh, i think i think they're just darcy is such a loss such a loss to the club it, it was it hurt speedway it hurt speedway it, it reminded us of what could happen yeah, um, Lee Richardson did as well. He was with the club as well. That was that was very sad, and um, and 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 what's happened to Darcy is, is sad as well. So, um, but they he 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 would always have to be in my team, and if I could have a mascot, I'd probably have Mark Moran as the club mascot just to go out and do a few <laughs> laps at the start because obviously it's my fantasy world, and I'm allowed to do what I want. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Um, and my my two managers, I think I think that Dan Ford and Matt Ford got it right this year. My two, I'd have two managers. I'd have Midlow and I'd have Havy as managers. So I, I was looking forward to that double act this year, um, which ah, obviously well. wasn't meant to be. So I'd I'd have them as my my team managers. Well, hopefully you'll be able to see them in action next year because um, I, I know from. Um speaking to Javi a few weeks ago when we did the the, the chat with him then I think uh, that that is still the plan going forward for uh, for 2021 so fingers crossed uh, you will get that dream at least absolutely that's I'm looking forward to it and I, I obviously want to try to do some away meetings so that I can I can see Javi in action in the pits I've only had uh, yeah I, I, I did I did the Steve Steve uh, Brandon did the walk um, for Darcy um, to raise money for him and I did the last I did um, uh, the second last 10 miles. So I walked from Chepstow to Newport with him um, that year. And, and, I, and, and when we got to the other end and we were, we'd all stayed in a Premier Inn and I got to meet Javi and a few people. We had something to, to eat after the walk, after I got rid of all the blisters on my feet and I staggered down the stairs. I don't know why I said I'd do it, but um, I thought I could walk 10 miles, but it was tough. Uh, and, and, and Steve would walk from Kings Lynn all the way to Cardiff, you know, day after day, yeah. which was just amazing. Um, all for Darcy, obviously, and uh, and I got to meet Javi, and we were I had a, a, a great conversation with Javi about the proportion of people on the table that had ordered chunky chips and the one that had ordered skinny chips, and was it the <laughs> chunky people that had ordered chunky chips, and was it the skinny people that had ordered skinny chips? And I think that kind of sums Javi up for me. Um, he's interested question. in everything. <laughs> he takes interest yeah. in what's going on around him. He's into everything. And um, yeah, that was a great conversation. So I'd love to be in the pits when he's he's um, he's he's chatting to his lads. So hopefully next season we can I can get to do that and go to an away one and and uh, have a listen in. That'd be lovely. I think he's planning to to, to get to a few of the, the of the home meetings as well. He's um, he's definitely going to try and get there. He said that to me again. Anyway, I feel so, sad that I've left him yeah. out of the team, which is why I've sort of made well, him the manager. There, yeah, well, he's in now. He's in. As a, as a, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I've left left people like Mark Baram out. Hans Anderson, Bjarni, you know Brady, Jack. It's just I just couldn't fit them all in. I just couldn't fit them all in. Malcolm Simmons, Simon Wig, Bruce Pennell, Tony Rickardson, Jason Crump, Chris Holder, Darcy Ward, Mark Loram as the mascot, Midlow and Javi uh, team managers. So you've got what four world champions and probably. Uh, hang on, one, two, yeah, four world champions, and probably Darcy Ward would have won it at least once or twice, if not, yeah, probably many more. And I think I think Wiggy was a long track world champion, so he was a long track, yeah, and Javi was world champion, of course, so, yeah, and Mark Loram, so yeah, yeah, so poor old Midlow, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> no you do, mate. I've been to golf with a couple of Travis Perkins days. Yeah, it's good. yeah, I can't do that to him. But he was the best manager. Don't forget that. He's won loads of, loads of trophies as a manager. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. He's made up for it. Um, okay, so uh, if we're going to have a referee for this meeting, I don't know what your um, what your knowledge of referees is like, but is, is yeah, what would you choose? Yeah, I've got, with the age of, you know, we've got to have somebody that knows the modern day speedway and knows a bit of the background of the old day speedway as well, because I think, you know, there would be a, a few a few altercations maybe. And, and uh, I've, I've gone for Tony Steele. Yes. Tony Steele, he's, he's still <laughs> safe pair of hands. He's, um, you know... Um, Spade to spade with Tony. <laughs> he won't be budged. Um, uh-huh. I've got to know him. Um, and he's taken me, actually, he, he took me in the ref box uh, at the start of 2019. I said, have you ever seen what a ref does? I said, no. And, and he was he was training a ref. And, he, and I went and sat in there. And it was lovely because it was a freezing night. And uh, it was lovely to be sat up there, penned up four of us in the ref box. It was lovely. It was lovely and warm. And um, I did not realise the 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 of what a ref has to do i just thought he had to press the button to get the tapes up and i i it was just an absolute eye-opener and i and i i wish every fan could go up there and see what a ref has to do um the implications of we all see it at paul uh, nigel out on the center green announcing the time and the riders and this that and the other but he can only do that once it's been confirmed from the referee so the referee then confirms mm-hmm. that down with nigel um, and then they're sort of like getting ready for the next race. They're then timing from the end of that race to the next race so that they get the next lot of riders out. And it's and when the two minutes comes on, and um, if there's been an incident on the on the on the track and uh, or an, uh, you know a crash, then they have to make sure that the track's safe again straight away. And and sometimes they have to come out of the box and check the track themselves with their own eyes, or they leave it to the clerk of the course who who says you know it was a, a minor incident, nothing's been done bang a new uh, air fence in and, and that's that um, and how much they have to do before the meeting as well to, to walk the track and, and and check its you know validity I suppose for the meeting so um, a lot of responsibility falls down on the referees and I don't think we as fans actually totally understand that and um, but but Tony still would be the man for the job for me yeah and, and all that and, and no replays uh, allowed either so it's all based on what they've seen, what they've seen there and, and, and then so you've got to know what you're looking yeah. for um, and I think that, you know, I was I was going to go with Christina. I was going to go with Christina. I could have gone with Christina. But I, I just clumped for Tony. I think I think his um, his hairstyle just took it for me, I think. <laughs> Tony's Tony's uh, his, his white afro that he's got going on. Yeah, he's, he's just a great guy, Tony. And, um, yeah, yeah. He, he deserves – I'd want him – I want him in my team. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of love for Tony Steele, I think. Probably, I think probably the most requested – referee i think in this in this feature um i would say uh, over the over the time so far um the one rule you would change if you were to be getting involved in the in the rule book and, and affecting tony's day i mean what what it's would be the, the one rule one, you'd tweet? it's probably the same one everybody else has probably said and it's um as a fan i'm frustrated about this this movement at the start rubbish yes um you know can we can we not just go back to if you touch the tapes you're out if you want to move <laughs> you move you know let's make sure that they're up tight to tapes if there is a slight movement from there, if they haven't touched the tapes, just let it go. You know, that's you know, that's a good start, isn't it? The question has been mentioned a few times about why why are we still using tapes in in twenty twenty, mm. um, and uh, you know, is there a, a more sort of well, like a, like a like way? a lights out in in uh, Formula One type thing? 
Yeah, and transponders, see who's moving, and you'll get a, an instant feedback of who moved. There's a certain um, element of cost again, uh, attached yeah. to that, and, and can you do that at grassroots level? Because whatever you do, they've got to be trained to do that from the time they get on a bike, so, so that yeah, it's fair. Sure. So, yeah. um, but that's the only rule. I, I, I want to find there's got to be an answer to this, to this so many sort of, you know, if, if you move at the start, what, you, you shouldn't be penalised for trying to, not to try and jump the start, as long as everybody's front wheel is in the right place yeah. and they've only got two inches or three inches to move, then then that's good. And if not, the riders, you know, we, we see so many refs pull the riders up and the riders roll back six inches. Well, that, that for me, you, you've got to be excluded for that. And if you start doing it and you keep, keep catching it, then riders will stop doing it. It's interesting. I chat with Phil Morris and um, he's he's big on this. He's done a lot of research into... Yeah, yeah I'm sure into, he has into starts and he's found that the duration that riders are held for from the green light going on to the tapes going up over the last i don't know how many years three or four years has got shorter and shorter and shorter so yeah. that's why riders are now anticipating it because the referees are not holding them as long and yeah. i think he's all for having a sort of a randomized thing on the button that the ref presses it and then there's like a delay that that then before the tapes oh, go up. Oh, so I see with technology, have a random, uh, sort of yeah. like a randomizer with a delay. That's a good idea, actually. Because you can have like between one and six seconds or whatever it is you can hold them it, for. It's what we used to do with motocross starts. It used to be that way. The, the, mm. the, five, you had, the five second ball goes round and it can go down in one second or it could go down in five. And yeah. you, you'd see people anticipate it. And obviously with a motocross start, you go under the gate. So the minute that everybody else's will drop and yours won't because your front wheel will have it jammed. I don't yeah. ever see that ever working in Speedway because you can't have bits of metal on the track. That's just not on. Of course, Tony Steele, a lot of problem. So, what I'm but, that, but that's what happens in motocross. You penalise yourself. And yeah, there's exactly. no way of kind of doing that with a Speedway start, unfortunately. Otherwise, yeah. I think it would be a lot easier to deal with. Yeah, it needs a bit of work, but um, I think there's certainly something perhaps in that. But uh, I guess it'll be a long road before that gets changed. <laughs> Absolutely. Just anybody, to, just 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 getting uh, you know uh, bikes on the track at the minute is is, is a bit of a feat. Um, so that's the rule you change. And uh, well, the final question really is: a team from any time in history, from any league in the world, to be the opposition. Now, this is a complete team which has existed. So, yeah. who would be the opposition? Do you think? Now, I'm probably thinking right out of the window here because people, and, and I've I've kind of stated how I liked a bit of razzmatazz around the speedway. I would have picked. Um, a USA test side from like the early 80s. Mm. Unfortunately, I can't pick one because I put Bruce in my team. So, yeah, so I'm gonna it's going to have to be just after 82 then, by the sounds of it, <laughs> when he when he went off to chips. So, I yes. mean, I mean the, the likes, <laughs> you know, so so the likes of, you know, you're talking Bobby Schwartz, Dennis Segalos, John Cook, uh, who else? Lance King, Scott Altree, Steve Gresham, uh, Rick Miller. Who, who does it? Kelly Moran, Sean Moran. Who doesn't want to see them? You know, yeah. um, and 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 so I would I would love to have. I remember I remember the test sides coming to Paul and um, uh, and and there was just like I say, everybody wanted to go. You know, it was six, seven, eight deep. It was um, promoter's dream, really. If you could if you manage to get one of the test matches, so uh, that's what it felt like as a kid at the time. And um, so so any of those guys turning out and and riding against Bruce, don't forget. So that would have been really exciting in my fantasy world. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, sudden Sam as well. Sam Emelenko would have been just about yeah, starting around Sam that time. Emelenko, yeah. So, well, so they just yeah. had a mass to, to to pick from, and I think, funny enough, in the nineties, then the Aussies kind of did the same, didn't they? It was the, it was the Aussie influx then come in, 
you know, your, your Boyces, your Jonos, your Ryan Sullivans, your uh, Lee Adams. And, um, you know, so I, I think, but for me, those American teams at the time were, were amazing. And, uh, and, and I think that would, you know, that would be a meeting I would love to see with, with that team that I've picked um, riding against. Um, you know, what, what would Darcy and Chris be like riding those guys from the 80s uh, from America? It's, um, what a meeting you'd have. You'd have entertainment and the interviews as well, I think. <laughs> and would, would they all be riding the... Uh, w- would the Americans be riding the bikes of their era? Or would they be I think, on the equal? I think they would, and I think what we would do, because I think that um, the likes of Tony, Jason, Chris and Darcy would ride anything... I think that they would they would have to ride bikes of their era as well, but we we mustn't forget in in their era. I was actually watching a bit because of because of knowing about the interview today. I was watching a bit on YouTube today, and uh, Simo had to pull out of one of the meetings because he blew his engine up, and he only had one bike. Ah, so so back in the back in those days, you had one bike, so he couldn't take no further part. So the reserve had to ride. So um yeah right, yeah <laughs> so uh, and I think I think Jeremy Doncaster in one of the ones I was watching today um blew done something to his bike and wrapped it around a post or something and he was riding Wiggy's bike for the rest of the meeting and it's just you just don't see that that often these days do you no you don't you don't and you don't well we don't really see too many uh, uh, you know touring matches anymore no either do we no that that's uh... another attraction I think for me um yeah. I would I would pay damn good money to go and see see that lineup anywhere. Scott, you've really run with the old fantasy speedway idea. You've actually uh, added another element to the to the list of questions, which I think is a very good point because your meeting is going to be televised. So you've actually picked your dream commentator and actually a commentating duo um, to, uh, to to commentate on this great speedway match and two great speedway commentating names. Well, uh, absolutely. I, I would definitely have Dave Lannan as, as my commentator because he was the one that linked Speedway and, and, and uh, darts for me at a young age. And uh, I'd, I'd met Dave on a few occasions. And actually, um, about three weeks before I won the World Championships, uh, he wrote in the local Echo that um, I hadn't uh, performed as I should and I should have been a World Championship by that champion by then. And I'd had three weeks where I was really horrible. I was thinking, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. And at the end of the week, I won it. And uh, he was the first one to send uh, the Echo reporter interviewed me after the meeting, after the um, the final. And uh, he said, uh, Scotty, by the way, uh, Dave Lanning texted me and sent his regards and said, well done, boy, you've finally done it. And oh. that's Dave Lanning all over for you. 15 minutes after I just won the World Championship, um, he sent a message through the Echo where he sort of berated me a bit and said I hadn't performed. So he went from he went from uh, being my zero for a bit to my hero again so um i would definitely have Dave Lan and i'd love love to have him looking at the 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 american saying you know um somebody's great said this is this is a team that you know is not frightened to get into the into a gallop or um you know bruce bruce Pennell's riding out of his jock strap we just need some of that back again it's great stuff and uh yeah he would definitely be i definitely have nigel as well there's no two ways about that but um yeah dave Lan and nigel would do the meeting for me without without doubt for commentary Wow, Dave Lanning and Nigel Pearson together. It's it's uh, yeah, and both of course darts and speedway link. So um, you got you got it. Everything it works for there. me. Definitely, it works for me. <laughs> well, look, thanks for um, spending the time and, and joining us on on this episode, um, Scott. It's been lovely talking to you and um, some great stories. And um, hopefully, um, you know, it won't be too long before we're uh, we, we can all get back to a speedway track and, and get watching the sport that we all love. Absolutely, absolutely, and that uh, you know, as fans, we just got to hang in there, guys. If you're listening, and uh, hang in there, it will come. We will get it back, and um, then we've got to make sure that we 
we keep it going and, and keep going every week and, and, and making sure it happens. And good luck in the tournament. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's nice being the show pony, having a chat with somebody. I've got to actually go and do the business now. So, um, yeah, I've talked <laughs> the talk. I've got to walk the walk now. <laughs> I'm sure you'll do it. No, thank you very much. My thanks to Scott Mitchell for joining me on this episode of Humans of Speedway. And of course, to you too for listening. Now, if you're a new listener, then do check out some of our previous episodes, including chats with another pool and Bradford legend, Gary Havelock. Another voice familiar to darts and Speedway fans alike, commentator and presenter Nigel Pearson, seven-time British champion Scott Nichols, and FIM Speedway GP race director Phil Morris, among the previous guests, who also each choose their own dream teams and dream meetings too, so find out what their choices are on that. Of course, for the latest updates and preview clips, follow Humans of Speedway on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And if you've enjoyed it and you've made it this far, then why not leave us a review and give us a rating on your podcast app of choice too. In the meantime, stay safe and join us for the next episode soon. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.